welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Krabby Christian, a Misfit Media Network production. I am your host and resident Krabby Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Pastor Russell B. Johnson, welcome to the show. Yo, I'm so excited. Let's go. One of the great things about the show is that I don't really have to book guests anymore. Sure. Right. And the second we connected on Instagram, I was like, Give me, I need your contact information. I need you on the show. (laughs) I did all the prep for this episode by myself. Normally I have an assistant that does it. Oh, I'm just really excited. Really excited. I blame you for all my new Instagram followers. And so that's fine. (laughs) I mean, it's probably a mixed bag. It's probably followers and also people that are a little wild in their opinions. We'll we'll go that route. So I want to kind of start at the beginning, because you have this, I mean, in my opinion, really incredible social media presence. You have this presence in your church. You are making an impact. You're talking about things that a lot of pastors aren't talking about. And when I made the connection of what your history is, the way that you step into these issues made so much more sense because you have a history in politics and lobbying. Right. Tell us about that. Yeah. So before going into full-time ministry, I did 10 years in um, the public policy space. And so I did just about every political job that you could think of. We ran campaigns. I was a lobbyist, a chief of staff. We did everything from federal campaigns to congressional campaigns, to local campaigns. And I worked for a lot of great conservative candidates. Of course, working for conservative candidates in Washington state is like a death sentence because you lose a lot more than you win. Yep. And so uh, we got good at losing for about 10 years straight. And we had a few victories that interrupted our losing streaks. But, you know, I really cut my teeth in politics. That was what my interest was. And in fact, I really thought for several years of my life that this is what I would do long term as a career. And uh, one day I got a call from a pastor in our region who said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I was like, well, I am grown up. uh, And And I'm I'm doing it. (laughs) And he said, no. He said, you need to come work for me. And so I kind of took it on a whim, honestly. And working in politics, it's such like kind of an all-consuming job and focus. And I thought, hey, well, maybe I'll change up the pace of my life, change up the focus. And what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. Politics is like cockroach. Nothing can kill it. It's always there. So there'll always be a job in some sort of political sphere. So I said, well, what's the worst that could happen? And so came on staff at a at a Assemblies of God church in our area. And man, we just had a move of God. We really did. Pretty soon we had hundreds of people coming from all across the region to these services. And I was only working there part-time. And so they moved me to full-time and was there for a number of years, just really plowing in the region. And then I got the itch to plant a church. And so yeah. we did that eight years ago and the rest is history. Did you have a relationship with the person? That called you and was like, hey, come work for me? Yeah. In fact, they had also been involved in some of the public policy stuff, Okay, but from a more nonprofit perspective. And so I actually worked for this person 
kind of behind the scenes. I, I did yeah. some of their political action committee work. So him and I had a pre-existing relationship because of politics. And so um, he wasn't a hater. He was, you know, no. he was right there with me. He believed in all this stuff. And so that's why I was kind of taken off guard when he was like, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I'm like, well, you know what I'm doing? Because half right. my work I do for you behind the scenes. Right. But I think that there's a great value in having people in your life who see something in you that you don't see yourself. And so he saw something in me and um, really created a platform for me at his church. And so it was cool. Well, and I think likely he saw something in you and then also saw a need, right? There's such a need. And that's something we're going to get into as we we talk. There's such a need for pastors that are willing to have these culturally relevant, politically relevant conversations. Right, right. I think, I mean, obviously, I don't know this person, but it's like, yeah, he saw this in you and also was aware enough of the need that you can fill this spot, come fill it. Like, yeah, the work you're right. doing is good, but this is better. Right. And I think sometimes, like, as it pertains to kind of the path that God leads you on over the course of your life, and I'm sure you've had this experience as well, but you find yourself in seasons of life thinking, how is this connected to my broader story? Like, could God ever use my political background in a redemptive sense for the kingdom? And I think before getting into full-time vocational work at church, I thought to myself, there are no parallels between politics and church. And then you get in church, you find out there are a ton of politics in church as well. Yeah, It's a different type of politics, but you're still, I'm still using the skill sets I learned in that space today. You learn how to build coalitions, how to lobby for ideas, how to develop teams, how to win elections how to go door knocking, how to fundraise. I mean, you name it, the same skill sets that I utilized in the public square of kind of civic engagement, I now use in uh, uh, in the private religious space. And so, you know, that's kind of the redemptive plan of God. He takes all of the disconnected parts of your narrative and then <laughs> weaves them together in this kind Amen. of patchwork. And you're like, Oh, oh, so there was like no season is wasted actually. Right. No, like you actually were developing things in me for stuff that I didn't even see. So we just feel super lucky, you know, and appreciative to be here. That's probably why I feel drawn to you. I've I didn't ever work in politics, but I was pre-law in college. Had decided I was gonna be a lawyer when I was like eleven. Love it. And then series of unfortunate events ended up not going to law school and kind of working odd jobs until I found this gig. And so it it is very, oh, he was positioning you to be a voice in a space that requires some background knowledge that a lot of people don't mm-hmm. have. A lot of people mm-hmm. trying to do, do all of those things that you were talking about with the political, <laughs> the political dance. And then also, and this is something I want to get into, do you get more backlash or people loving it that you speak into political issues. I hate using that term political issues because are they political issues or are they light like life issues? But right, yeah, right. you know what I mean? Well, I think it's helpful in kind of that binary to think about it in this context that the church hasn't become political. Politics has become religious. Amen. And the church has this kind of role and responsibility to be this independent prophetic voice to culture because when the church loses her voice the world loses her mind and you know the apostle paul calls the church the pillar of truth in society so it's my conviction today that you got a lot of folks running around who are scared to death of their own shadows and so they never say what is true Mm. and if you lose the ability to say what is true you've already lost the most important platform that there is 
And we are in the middle of a multi-generational war against truth itself. And Chesterton said that there will come a day where men will draw swords and light torches to defend the idea that the sky is blue and the grass is green. And when that time comes, prophetic leaders ought to find the boldness and the courage to tell the truth. And so I think when you when you kind of look into that, what I am convinced of is that in a lot of our kind of celebrity Christendom in the West, we have built altars to influence. And in doing so, influence has become the ultimate determining factor on whether or not we say what is true. And so it's interesting to me, like these kind of pastors who masquerade uh, at night as social justice warriors, they love to speak up on the racial issues. And, mm-hmm. and we have racial issues and we need Absolutely. competent prophetic voices to speak to those. But all of a sudden, Roe v. Wade gets overturned and nobody says anything. And so I put out on Instagram, I said, Hopefully one day abortion becomes as unpopular as racism so that our pastors can finally find the guts to address it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can imagine I got a lot of love for that. I also got a lot of hate for that. Yeah. But to me, you know, the life issue is actually the greatest civil rights violation of our day. Amen. And so we've got all these people, you know, thinking, you know, because I showed up at a rally and chanted a slogan, I'm the next MLK. And I just go, well, actually, the greatest civil rights fight today is the issue related to personhood in the womb. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that other issues aren't important. And it doesn't mean that everybody has to speak to all of the issues all the time. You know, we're not talking heads. I'm not Tucker Carlson. I don't have a right. political show. I get crazy emails all week from people on both sides of the spectrum. You need to talk about this. You need to talk about that. Right. It's like, well, I got 30 minutes on Sunday to preach. And there's discernment. And there's discernment. Right. And everybody and their crazy mom has a conspiracy theory about what you need to speak to next, you know? But for me, it's like, we are not living in the cultural moment of the 90s. No. You know, where the arguments in the civic square are like, are you like for more taxes or less taxes? (laughs) Do you want a social safety net or no social safety net? Are you pro foreign intervention or are you more isolationist in your foreign policy? Right. No, we are having arguments in the street about if men can be women, if women can be men, if it's morally acceptable to rearrange the genitalia of minors against their parents' wishes. We are having conversations about what it means to simply tell the truth. These are not nuanced political issues. There's no nuance. There's there is not. there is no nuance. And I think there are Christians who are incapable. You and I were talking a little bit just a tad before we started recording about how wild Christians can be about some right. things that do require nuance. And there does seem to be a lack of that. But there are so many more conversations that I'm like, no, th- this is actually black and white. This is, right. there is no nuance. That when Roe versus Wade was overturned, I got on my Instagram and I was like, if you posted a black square right. in June of 2020, I want to hear from you. Right, right. That feels like a fair benchmark. If you were willing to post about an issue that earned you social currency, right. I want to hear from you. And it, it was freaking crickets. like. And you just hit the nail on the head. That earned you social currency. Because if you just want to be honest about it, it's not even motivated by a genuine concern for the racial divide in America. It's attaching themselves 
to whatever is the most popular message generated by the spirit of the age and then trying to raise your hand and attach yourself to that bandwagon to use it for clout. Mm -hmm. The social activism that we have in our generation is so morally bankrupt and intellectually dishonest (laughs) that it is hard to even contextualize with human words. It is about posturing. It is about virtue signaling. It is about look at me. I I don't want to come late to the party. Me too. Hey, I'm a part of this. No, look at me. No, look at my square on Instagram. No, look at my hashtag. No, look at my post. And then all of a sudden, when we've got some major victories in the legal sphere that folks have been contending for for 40 years. Right. Then all of a sudden, it's an appeal for nuance. It's well, love. You know, oh, it's love. It's gentle. It, God, if I, I, this is going to sound terrible, but if I saw one more like Jesus's love post, I was going right. to lose it. Like, yeah, right. yeah. Uh huh. A hundred percent. But love is action sometimes. Right. And like Jesus really, at the most minimal level, you know what he really loved? Life. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> like, you know what he well, celebrated? And, Life. And I think today what we have is we have leaders who are utilizing theological ambiguity as a strategy to help bolster their own influence. 100%. This always happens when these celebrity guys end up on Oprah and Oprah is always going to ask them the same questions. What do you think about homosexuality, the sexual ethic of scripture, the abortion issue? And all of these guys always have the same stuff. Well, you know, Jesus didn't really talk about that publicly. I can't really address that. And again, like we don't have to turn every pastor into a public theologian. Right. But if you can't at a bare minimum utter one sensible statement about the culture of life or the value of biblical sexual ethic, what are you doing? Stop. Go do something else. Mm -hmm. Quit your job. Go sell tacos. (laughs) If you want to be liked by everybody, make ice cream. But don't sign up for this. Right. We are heralders of the truth. Yeah. And when we are having arguments over the very essence of our epistemological formation, what it what it means to be true and to tell the truth, you know, here's the reality. Jesus doesn't just say, I have truth. He says, I am truth. Mm-hmm. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And I think in the West, we have reduced Jesus to a truth, to a teller of truth. Instead of the personification of truth truth itself. See, when Christ is the personification of truth, that means every issue in my life must be viewed through a Christological lens. But we don't like that. We like to pick and choose our most popular theologies built on verses that we take out of context to try to speak to the spirit of the age to gain more influence in culture. Because really what we love most is not a bloody cross or an empty tomb. It's Instagram followers, likes, comments, and replies. And if we want to be honest, that's the truth. And money. I mean, if if those are book deals that we're talking about, like right. you and I are not signing any million dollar book deals anytime soon. It's not going to happen. We're not ending up on Oprah. We're not ending up. People were so funny when my book came out. Do you think you're going to be on the Today Show? No, I don't think I'm going to be on the Today Show. I am a cancer to the Today Show, and I like it that way. Like, like I think about popular writers who kind of 
built their platform on the backs of Christian women specifically. And then they ended up with like Reese Witherspoon and Drew Barrymore and Oprah talking about their book. And I was like, right. There can't be anything of substance in this book if Hollywood is celebrating it. And I think that there's a disconnect there because, and, and this gets us into talking about COVID and kind of how your, how your church handled that. But Christians have completely omitted, not all, but a lot of Christians have completely omitted the very clear verses that tell us that the world is going to hate us. Right. We right. Can, we, it's uncomfortable. I don't like that idea. Like, but Jesus was love and, and they loved him. Yeah. They loved him until they put him on a cross. Right. And, <laughs> and there's kind of this like false notion that if you just be nothing, say nothing and do nothing, then you can kind of just blend in and then hopefully you won't be canceled by culture. Like none of us will survive this cultural moment. We won't. And so like, you just got to pick which side you want to stand on. And, you know, I think it was Churchill who said, an appeaser is one who feeds an alligator hoping to be eaten last. Yeah. And we've got these folks in our world today who just think if I just say nothing and do nothing, I never rock the boat. I never tell the truth. I never say anything even remotely controversial. I can survive this cultural moment. No, you can't. This is a time of choosing. This is a time of decision-making. And Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He was filled with grace and filled with truth. And they still put him up on a cross to die. And so if the metric of our success is connected to this idea of nobody's ever upset, we don't get any smoke, we never rock the boat, if that's our metric of success, then what we have traded is a biblical value system for a world value system. Yeah. If you climb the ladder of world success, you will miss out on Jesus coming down the other side of the ladder in a different <laughs> direction. His kingdom is upside down. And so, Amen. Ugh. Okay. So your church refused to close for COVID. Yes. Fire. I'm so freaking proud of you. I know you don't need me to be proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Y'all Thank like you. got almost got in legal trouble. Yeah, for sure. I, I still remember the day the world shut down. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like a Tuesday or something. We're all just hanging around. Yeah. And then pretty soon Safeway is closed. Albertsons is closed. Starbucks is closed. Everybody just goes home and the world just shuts down. And at that point, we didn't really know what COVID was. We right. were just kind of hearing this for the first time. And so those first few weeks, you know, we kind of we're going, okay, do we, are we going online? Are we broadcasting? What are we doing? Are people catching this and dropping dead instantly? Do you remember right. all the draconian images oh. that they were showing from around the world? I mean, it was just crazy. None of us knew, is this the zombie apocalypse Hollywood yeah. has talked about? Is this the end of days? Is this the angel breaking the seal of pestilence that's hitting the yard? What is this? And so once we got our bearings, though, I very quickly realized that although it was so important to public health that the church be closed, especially in Washington state, because we have socialist political leadership, they were actually celebrating and encouraging mass rioting in the streets, looting, the burning of buildings. We had more people die, get shot, be victims of sexual assault. Our streets were literally taken over as kind of autonomous zone. We were on fire. (laughs) We were on fire. They took over a police building. I mean, the streets descended into chaos. The mayor of Seattle, who recently decided she wasn't going to run again for office, she came out and said, oh, this is a summer of love. Everything is great. It's awesome. Literally, the six-story police building in Capitol Hill is on 
fire. There are like police officers in the top windows shooting bean yeah. bags, trying to keep them from scaling the wall. It was a the third walls. world country. The walls, literally. And I quickly realized because of my political background that the government actually was less interested in public health and they were more interested in public ideology. So if your activity helped reinforce their narrative or ideology, we would encourage it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go to the streets. No, nobody's mm -hmm. getting sick. There's a thousand people on the streets. You're all in close contact with each other. You're all sharing drinks and sharing cigarettes and doing all. Oh, no, it's all great. Summer of love. But the church couldn't gather. And I saw that and I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is about the government actually picking winners and losers. Mm -hmm. And you don't get to do that. Number one, because we have a constitutional right to gather. But number two, even if we didn't have a constitutional right to gather, we have a spiritual mandate to gather. Like the church is not just a good idea if you ever get around to it. It's a mandate from scripture. And so we opened the doors, put out a couple of videos, and we just said, hey, look, you know where to find us, but we're going to be here every Sunday. And regardless of what the government says, we saw the church grow 5x in 18 months. We're running six services now on a Sunday. and so. You know, the attorney general came after us. The governor came after us. The health district came after us. We were one of the most reported businesses in Washington state for violating the COVID mandates. They threatened to fine us $10,000 a day. They threatened to lock me up in the county jail for 90 days. And I just thought to myself, if you guys ever make good on any of those threats, we're going to grow another 5X. Please do. Yeah. Okay. I have like tears in my eyes because that is what we saw happen in scripture. Yeah. Like you got to live that out. You got to live right. out the church going, quote unquote, underground, being persecuted and exploding. Right. And right. That's, that's like what should have happened because that's something that only God can do. Only God can take right. what man and the enemy mean for evil and mean for harm and mean to make us smaller and be like, watch. Thirty million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. And if you're among them, I need you to know that you're not alone and that there's a solution you can trust to deliver some results. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement. It supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting the root causes of thinning. Nutrafol has three physician-formulated formulas using natural, drug-free, medical-grade ingredients so you can get the most reliable results. And in a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code BLAKE to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer they offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code BLAKE. COVID became almost a winnowing fan for the church, dividing wheat and chaff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk about controversial opinions. And one of mine is this, um, that a lot of the churches that COVID killed needed to die in the first place. I completely agree. And so 
I look at this and, and I'm not, you know, oh, God causes sickness and God didn't know I'm not one of those people. I do think that God can take what the enemy intends for evil and intend it for good. And I think what the enemy intended for evil, God has actually used as a benefit to churches who were not afraid to tell the truth. And again, for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch. I get it. But we've got some crazy folks on our end as well. And, you know, the people who want to, you know, storm the Capitol and, you know, I tell people this all the time. I say, listen, if you talk more about the second coming of Trump than you do the second coming of Christ, you're the problem. You are the problem. And I also tell people, hey, if you quote more from the CDC guidelines than you do from scripture, you're part of the problem. So, you know, problems abound all across the political spectrum. But it was so interesting to me. You got these churches filled with people singing Hillsong and Bethel, no longer slaves to fear, doing all these types of things talking about being bold, talking about being courageous, talking about having a public witness. And then they shut their doors for two and a half years, Right. tell people that they can't gather, and they do it under the false veneer of a broken theological narrative that if the church stays closed, what it really means is we're loving our neighbor. I'm like, you ain't ever loved your neighbor a day in your life. You don't ever invite them to church. You haven't ever witnessed. You don't ever tithe. You don't serve. You show up once a, once a month. But now... You have become this all-flowing source of theological truth who can pontificate greatly on the teachings of Christ throughout the four Gospels. And really, if you loved your neighbor, you would follow the CDC guidelines. And I just thought to myself, my God, Christendom in the West has been replaced by the worship of government and the fear of man. Mm -hmm. And unless we take a stand, we deserve to lose the next generation to whatever heresy is most popular for them. And so, look, we're going to take a stand in the North. And you know. Seattle ain't Texas, right? It's not the Bible Belt. No, you know this is this is an antichrist culture yeah. that is filled with people who are demonstratively agnostic. They, they, mm-hmm. they are they are clearly opposed to the things of God and to the kingdom of God. And I just thought, man, what a great time to offer bright, bold contrast with what the world offers. I think what's crazy is that what you saw. I just see a lot of parallels between like our experiences and our stories because yeah. 2020 is the year that I my Instagram blew up. That's the year everything blew up for me because a month into COVID, I was like, yo, this doesn't and some of this isn't tracking, you know, like right. and exactly what you're saying. People are in the streets, but I can't go to church. Or right. do you know that the boxes literally say does not protect against COVID-19 on the box right. of masks, you know? And People are constantly like, oh my gosh, like you're so brave. And all like I said, I'm like, am I brave? Right. Or am I just unwilling to lie to you? Right. right. And and I think that you touched on something that I come up against constantly, which is the whole like love your neighbor. Right. Line, right? That love has become synonymous with agreement. That love right. has become synonymous with not just agreement now, or maybe five years ago it was agreement, but now it's um support it is i I can't disagree you i have to help you right along the way or else i don't love you right what's your experience with that yeah and it's kind of these you know these these stupid cultural slogans that have just become adopted into the kind of linguistic mainframe here in the west it was absolutely infuriating but you know these ideas of like well silence is violence and (laughs) you know and unless unless you chant for my cause then you're not a supporter and you know the reality is you can love who people are and you can honor what part of the journey they're on mm-hmm. without pledging your allegiance and support to every single position that you know they hold. And so for me, even with 
because we had kind of this perfect storm of social and biological calamity happening all at the same time in 2020. You had mm-hmm. the racial stuff, mm-hmm. you had the COVID-19 stuff, you had the constitutional freedom stuff, you had the, you know, the presidential election stuff. It just became this perfect it storm. It was a tinderbox that was ready to explode. And when it hit, there were so many folks who were caught off guard who were like, I just wanted to like have my nice little church and play safe right. and be popular on social media. Like, I'm not ready for this moment. And I'm thinking like, no, this is what I was born for. Let's like, go. <laughs> yo, let's turn up. Like, yeah. I know how to speak to these issues. Yeah. And and so honestly, I felt like this was a prepackaged moment from the Lord. It was like a softball that we just got to knock out of the park. You know, but I think it's important, especially as we build churches, we build communities, we build followings that are non-monolithic. Hey, yes. it's black and it's white, it's left and it's right, it's Christian and it's non-Christian, it's up and it's down, it's rich and it's poor, it's Jew and it's Gentile. And Christ invites them all to sit around his table. But the ethic of love that, that Jesus shows in the New Testament, it confronts the religious bureaucrats of his day, but it also confronts the governmental elite. Christ warns against the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, yeah. against the religious spirit and the political spirit. And yeah. so for me, my conviction is, hey, listen, we can make room at our table. We can love who people are, love the process they're on. We can honor where they're at. But the second that we capitulate to a support of their sin mm-hmm. or a celebration of their degradation, then we are actually not loving people. We are hating them and we are doing a disservice to the gospel. And so even like during Pride Month, I see all these guys and it's like they're trying to make all these like nuanced statements and, you know, this is who we are, but it's not, but it's kind of, but it's mm-hmm. cool and you can do whatever and you can be belong before you behave and just be here and just do it. And I'm just like, yo, can we not just be competent and speak to sexual ethic and say, hey, we have an unwavering love for people. And at the same time, we have an uncompromising allegiance to scripture. And those two things are actually not diametrically opposed to each other. No, they actually work in unison. We have an incredible love for people. I'm not angry at people who sin differently than me. Exactly. I'm just not. I'm not wasting time being angry at people who sin differently than me. But I'm also not going to capitulate to the spirit of the age that says, you must, like Nebuchadnezzar, when we play the music, you must stand and worship. When we wave our flag, you must stand and worship. When we say it's Pride Month, you must stand and worship. And I just go, I ain't standing. I'm not pledging allegiance. I'm not bowing to your altar. I'm not repeating your phrases. I am not chanting your ideologies. I refuse to align myself with something that's not biblically sound. Now, the world will say, well, you're a hater. You're a bigot. You're this, you're that. I'm sure like you, you should see the hate mail we get. It is incredible. Yeah. They invent curse words I've never even heard of before. But I just (laughs) think to myself, I just go, if you live for people's compliments, you will die by their criticism. And the Lord told me this. And I know people get weird. The Lord told you. I'm telling you, the spirit of the sovereign Lord spoke to me going into the COVID season. He told me this. Unless you crucify your need to be liked by people who don't share your values, you will not make it through what's coming next. Yeah. The Lord spoke that. To, that was before COVID started. Yeah. I thought to myself, what are you talking about? What's coming? <laughs> and the last three years has been a proof positive, you know, sign that that word was accurate. Well, did you see the whole thing? This would is relevant to when we're recording of Sonny from The View saying Jesus would have been the grand marshal of the pride parade. Crazy. Crazy. To think that he would celebrate the very thing that put him on the cross. Right. And continues to separate his kids from him. That that's how far we've swung. Not that we need to 
treat them with people who are LGBTQAI plus. I can't keep up anymore. That we don't treat them with love and respect and kindness, which the church has not habitually done. It doesn't mean that, but what you don't get to do is hijack my Jesus and say that he would celebrate the things that you celebrate because that makes you more right. comfortable. And it's totally crazy. And it's it's the reflection of broken theology. Mm-hmm. And it's folks, it's a reflection of people who have been formed more by culture than they have by scripture. Mm-hmm. And so they, they have a cultural Christianity, but they don't have a scriptural Christianity. And so cultural Christianity says that anything that would cause controversy or anything that would potentially get a rebuke from the cultural masters that I serve, um, those are things that we just don't talk about. Or even worse, we say that, oh, Christ would actually support stuff that he wouldn't. And so, yeah. well, you know, we're, we, we are in a fight right now for the heart and the soul of what it means to be a Jesus follower. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I look at this and I just go, if we can't find our boldness and courage to tell the truth now, we'll inspire people to give their whole lives to Jesus. Hey, look, we're going all in. So much of Christianity in the West has been infused with the syncretism of our cultural moment. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, really, I'm a social activist who like goes to church once every four months. Right. I claim Christ, but my social media is filled with me saying that Christ would be the grand marshal at the pride parade. It's absolutely ass backwards, broken theology by folks who have not been deeply formed one day by Christ. And if we don't have the cultural clarity to call that out, we are in a war over definitions. Whoever wins the war for definitions wins the debate. Right. And I'm not giving up the war over definitions. Well, and you have to, there have to be people in the fight. That's the the side that is trying to define things. The way of the world is so freaking loud. Right. They have a monopoly on the media and on the market. And it's not all of them. There are so many incredible Christian voices that are speaking into these spaces. But you also have a lot that are, like you were saying, afraid to, they're afraid of backlash. They're afraid that they aren't ready. They're afraid of losing social currency. And it's like, we wonder why things look the way they do today. I'm like, maybe it's because Christians have shut up for so long. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And we, we are reaping in the streets. Right. What has been communicated in the pulpits. Yeah. And so culture is downstream from worldview. Mm -hmm. Public policy is downstream from worldview. Cultural amalgamation and the development of ideas and philosophy and values, what is true versus that is downstream from worldview. Yeah. And so for me, I go, we, we are in a cultural moment, but it is not the result of this cultural moment. It is the result of the last generation's development or lack thereof of compelling Christian worldview. And so, you know, I tell my church this all the time. I got a, I got an eight-year-old, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. I am not in this for me. I'm in it for them. And my conviction is that we owe the next generation better than what we received. Yeah. We owe them an encounter with God. We owe them a church that they don't fall asleep in. We owe them compelling convictions. We owe them theological truth. We owe them intellectual apologetics. We owe them a fully formed faith that Mm -hmm. they can use as their platform to reach whatever sphere of influence God gives them. That's at a bare minimum. Yeah. At a bare minimum. Right. That's what we owe them. And if we don't make good on that promissory note, if you think it's bad now, (laughs) wait 20 years. No, a hundred percent. I want to shift gears just a little bit. You are a public supporter of Mark Driscoll, Mm -hmm. which is unpopular 
in a lot of mm-hmm. circles after the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast right, that, right. you know, like people were aware of what was happening, maybe on a smaller level, that podcast kind of blew everything out. Uh, as someone, I, Mark was really popular when I was in college or read a couple of his books, personally didn't necessarily agree with his theology then. Right. And then kind of, he kind of dropped off the face of the earth for me, to be honest. I wasn't really keeping up. Right. Listened to The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, obviously. Difficult to listen to at times. Right. And when I found your Instagram and started sharing your stuff, that was the primary, outside of the people that are just, don't like that you <laughs> talk loud, right? Or, or sure, <laughs> that sure. you have unpopular opinions. That was the primary concern that people had. That I, I was like, that's legitimate. I would be interested to hear yeah. his side of that. So talk to me about your friend, Mark. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, it's a great question. I've had the privilege of, you know, just a few times, not a lot, but just a few times being able to interact with him and his wife. And I, I never went to Mars Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it was in my backyard because I grew up in Seattle, uh, but I never went to Mars Hill. I had a lot of friends who did, but I never personally did. But every time I've been with Mark and his wife, they've just been extremely kind to me, just gracious, prayed for me, believed in me, supported me. And so that has been, you know, my personal experience. But you know, if you were to scroll through my Instagram, you know, I got pictures on there with, you know, Mark Driscoll, Bill Johnson, Benny Perez. I mean, yeah. you name it, people from just about every side of the ideological and theological spectrum. And so I always try to encourage people, you know, number one, don't overanalyze or read into something that that's not there. Right. But then number two, like, I think it is possible. And and to me, like this is, we talked about this a little bit, but to me, this seems to be a missing value in today's world because we're so given to what I would call political and religious tribalism. Mm-hmm. And that's to me, one of the things that actually the 2022 midterm elections proved is that <laughs> we have never been more politically tribal than we are yeah. in this moment. And it's not good or bad. It just is. There's not yeah. really a whole lot of truly independence left. I mean, there's just not. But I think sometimes for us in our um, drive towards tribalism, you know, we're always asking the question like, well, is that guy on my side or that side or trying to figure out where people are. I call it guilt by proximity. For me, I'm trying to develop a place in my heart where I can honor who people are. I can receive out of the anointing or the influence that is on their life. I can eat the meat, spit out the bones. Mm -hmm. I can honor what people have done. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're stamping approval on every incident that's ever been recorded. Right. And because the reality is, as as you continue to grow in influence, as we continue to grow in influence, you know, one day there's going to be a podcast about me and there's going to be a podcast about you. And exactly. There's going to be people who say all sorts of things and some of them, which may be true, others, which may be out of context and some, which might be total fabrications. And at the end of the day, we're just going to have to like make this decision on who we're willing to associate with yeah, and this idea that just because I'm on your podcast or you're talking to me doesn't mean that I agree with everything you've ever said or vice versa. It means we're adults. Exactly. That has died. People are incapable of that. And it it makes me sad because I learned so much from listening to people that I don't agree with right? and sitting around a table with people that I don't agree with. And I'm like, you are missing out you want to talk about an echo chamber? That's an echo chamber. Like we're worried about a liberal echo echo chamber or a conservative echo chamber. What about a theological echo chamber? Right. You know, and it's like any theology that does not perfectly align with yours is wrong. I'm like, right. you know, that I had an experience, you know, you said <laughs> there's going to be a podcast about you, another Christian influencer 
a couple of weeks ago did like a four or five slides in their stories about how problematic my theology is. Sure, and <laughs> a year or two ago, it probably I would have been like, <gasps> right. You know, there would have been the, did I get it wrong? Or, oh no, like what's the response going to be? But in the end, you know, what I did, I got on my knees. I said, like, search me and know me if there is anything for me to pull out of what she's saying, like that you have for me for real instruction. Right. I want it. But otherwise, I'm good. Right. You're good. I'm good. I don't have any problem with you. It's okay that you have a problem with me. That's lost. Right. We can't do that. There, I can't tell you how. Literally, the connection that people made for me was I was sharing your stuff. You share Mark Driscoll's stuff. Therefore, you are the new supporter. I am problematic. And I was like, yo, like you have, you don't know. I was like, you have no idea what Russell's experience with Mark is. You have no idea the connections that they already had. Also, I hate to, to like remind you of the economy of Christ is one of like grace and forgiveness. Right. And I just think, you know, we live in this cultural moment that has also impacted the church by which it's never been more valuable to be a victim. And we've (laughs) weaponized and monetized injury. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I tell people, you know, in our world today, we have a GoFundMe spirit of infirmity. (laughs) And, you know, instead of being healed from our pain, we want to be noticed for our pain. Yeah. And so for me, it's like, you know, the cross doesn't eliminate our pain, but it gives purpose to it. But unless you allow the cross to be the filter by which you process your pain, you'll just turn it into another platform to inflict pain on others. And so I've never listened to the podcast. Yeah. Maybe one day I will, maybe I won't. But my heart is that I want to be able to receive from people, uh, be encouraged by people, be inspired by people, learn from people who see things differently than me who have had mistakes and victories, who have come out the other side, who have survived the onslaught of church world and political world and all those things. And I think for me, there's just a a real opportunity that we have in the church to respond to the opposite spirit. We can complain all day about cancel culture, but if we contribute to it, then we are just as guilty as the people that we write blog posts about. Yeah. December 4th, we're bringing in another guest and this will piss everybody off. I promise you, everybody's going to be upset and I'm doing it. And in fact, on December 4th, I'm preaching an entire message about honoring who people are, respecting the differences that they have in Christendom, which is a wide kingdom mm-hmm. and not giving in to the spiritual temptation to tribalize mm-hmm. and then cannibalize people who disagree with you. And so yeah, I'm not done causing waves. No, <laughs> that that's established a hundred percent, which is perfect. Let's close with your most controversial opinion. Oh man. Do you want me to go first? Let me count all the ways. Yeah, you go first. Tell me yours. Okay. So my most controversial opinion is that Christian kids don't belong in the public school system. Wow. There we go. I'm trying to start a Christian school actually. So yeah, um, I'll take that. I love that. My oldest did a year in a public school. And I was like, <laughs> what have I done? We out. <laughs> Absolutely not. Pulled her. They both go to a small Christian school. The opposite, the the rebuttal to that is that these kids, like if Christian kids aren't in public schools then who's being a light, they're eight. And you don't send missionaries out onto the field without them being trained mm. with, uh, if you don't expect them to get eaten alive. 
And right. I'm, I'm interested in raising kids that can go out into the world armed for war, not having been in a war their whole life. That's my take. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm with you on that. Man, oh man. Hey, you got to pick one. I got to pick one. Okay. Being famous on social media is like being rich in Monopoly. Nobody cares. Yeah. I like that. It definitely doesn't matter in the grand scheme. Right. And again, like I'm saying that to somebody who is popular on social media and somebody who is growing and popular in social media. So I get this little tongue in cheek, but I think behind that controversial statement is actually a value system that says oftentimes we create eternal value around things that actually won't matter one iota right. as it pertains to eternity. And so like, right. let's have fun with it and let's manage it while we have it. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, in the final esteem of things, like I want to operate with the conviction I have today when we were a church of 20 people in a living right. room and nobody cared. And right. now we're 3,000 in multi-city and we're reaching the nation and we're reaching the world and everybody's loving it or hating it. But like, I want to operate with that same conviction. Yeah. Like, hey, this hasn't changed me. Uh, we still talk the same, sound the same. We are the same. And we're not allowing culture's value system to somehow complicate or eradicate who we've always been. Yeah. So being social media famous doesn't mean you're actually famous. Right. Is Like, is... A hundred percent. And it's like, what are you doing with it? Right. Like, I do think that what you and I both as people who have built influence on social media are doing, I do. I think it matters for eternity. Right. Not because of a certain number on my Instagram account, but because right. of what I've done. with it. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's the, that's the key. It's, it's, it's what you've done with what you have been given and right. understanding that in God's economy, it was the widow who gave two mites. Right. Who gave more than everybody else in the entire temple. And so yep. for me, it's like some people are like waiting for significance in order to feel like they can really be who they are. Exactly. And I'm just like, man, when you're addicted to this drug of significance, you will never start. You will always be too young until you're too old. You'll always be too poor until you're too rich. You'll always give yourself an excuse for why you can't be exactly what God has called you to be. And I know that you've got folks from around the nation watching this today. And it's like, yo, start somewhere. Be who God has asked you to be. And if you never break a thousand followers on Instagram, guess what? You are still significant to God. And until that's enough, nothing else will ever be. Nothing will be. I tell a story sometimes of talking to my best friend, I think when I hit like 50K on Instagram. Sure. And being like, okay, like I want to be self-aware. Do you feel like I've changed as like things have changed? And she said, she like kind of thought about it for a second. She said, no, you've always handled your platform this way. You've always acted like people were there. Now they're just there. Wow. And I was like, I'm good with that. That's let's go. That feels, let's go. That feels great. Yeah. It's actually a great compliment. hundred percent. Yeah. Oh yeah. That one's like lives in my back pocket when I get in. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Russell, where can people like keep up with you, connect with you, listen to your sermons, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. You know, all of our handles are just uh, the pursuit in W and uh, obviously we're on all the different platforms. But yeah, we're just letting people know about the good things that God is doing in the Northwest. And my conviction is, is if God can do it in Seattle, he can do it anywhere. Amen. We just hope that our journey is encouraging to other people, um, that uh, the church is still on the right side of history and we are on the right side of eternity. Amen. Thank you so much. Awesome. Hey, thanks for having me. We'll talk soon. 
All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right, see you next week.